0: amen amen praise god how's everyone doing All right, welcome. Uh, Thank you for joining us this Sunday morning. My name is Pastor Alberto. I serve here as the lead pastor of this church, and I have the honor and privilege to lead it alongside co-elder Thaddeus, and we want to welcome you, and thank you for joining us in person and online. Uh, I'm really excited because Advent is one of my favorite, favorite times on the calendar, and uh, Advent simply is a Latin word, uh, or comes from a Latin word that means um, arrival or, or the appearing, and it's in reference to the arrival of Jesus. And uh, we've been taking the, these four weeks, we're in week three, to, to uh, expound upon, unpack these ideas behind Advent. And one of them is hope, peace, joy, and love. And so these candles each represent one of these gifts that God has given us, this gift of hope that in Christ we can be a people who are filled with hope and a hope that's not necessarily rooted in our circumstances or what's going on in our life, but a hope that's anchored in a person. Uh, we, last week, we talked about peace, how Jesus comes and brings peace, but a peace that is way better than this world has to offer. Uh, a peace uh, that speaks to this idea of shalom uh, that the Hebrews talked about, that we can have peace with God. We can have peace with one another. Uh, we can have peace within And we long and anticipate this peace with creation, uh, where God restores the world and brings it into perfect harmony without sin and without brokenness. And this morning, we're going to talk about joy. How Jesus comes and brings us a joy that is not rooted or anchored in, 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 in happiness or a good circumstances, but that's rooted in a person. And what I love about this idea of joy is that God, when he created us, he designed us to enjoy him. He designed us to be in relationship with him. And it says a lot about the God that we serve. Uh, that he wants us to have fun with him and to enjoy him and to be in relationship with him. And God is not a, a killjoy, uh, that God has not created us to restrict us and keep good things from us. Rather, he has created us to find ultimate joy, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment in him. And that's the idea that we're going to lean into today, is that Jesus is the embodiment of joy, that we can be a people who experience and have joy. And so to do that, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 35, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. I invite you to open up your Bible there. If you have the, the Bible app on your phone, you can go to Isaiah chapter 35. Uh, the words will be on the screen, and I want to invite you to stand with me so we can honor the reading of God's word. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. Verse 4, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We just read a lot, and so we're going to break that down into two points. The first one is far from home, and the second is the way back home. If you're taking notes, point one, far from home, and point two, the way back home. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for this wonderful Sunday, this gift of being in your presence with your people, uh, worshiping you. Uh, Lord, I praise you that one of the ways that we glorify you is by enjoying you. And I thank you that, that that you've designed us and created us to be in relationship with you that is marked by joy. I pray that this morning you would come and restore joy, where it seems like joy has been robbed or taken away. I pray that you would come this morning and infuse our hearts to hope to be in awe of you. I pray that you would come and bring peace and joy as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Point one, far from home. Uh, Where we find uh, this people in, in, in this book of Isaiah is that they are far from home. Uh, in fact, uh, they find themselves in a foreign land. As we've been discussing, this group have, have been uh, dominated and, and brought into bondage and slavery under the Assyrians. And so if their home is Israel, they are far from that place. They've been completely relocated. They are out of the state. They are out of the country. And now they find themselves in a very hopeless place, uh, experiencing all sorts of pain and all sorts of affliction and all sorts of suffering. And, and Isaiah looks into this world, and as the prophet of God, he's called to encourage his people to repent, to turn to God, because one of the reasons they're in this place is because they're not right with God. They've chosen to abandon God. They've chosen to turn their backs on God. And as a result, now they're suffering the consequences from trying to live for themselves. And one of those consequences is that they find themselves um, under the oppression of the enemy. But Isaiah is a prophet who wants to speak hope into his people. And he says that the world that you see right now isn't always going to be this way. Uh, That the circumstances that we're going through right now is not going to be the final destination. In fact, there awaits for us a future where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more hurt, where there will be no more suffering, and we will be back home. But that's not where they find themselves right now. Home speaks to two things. One, it speaks to where the people of God used to be. And it also speaks to the presence of God. It's the idea that, that we are at home when we are in God's presence. Uh, because that's the way that God designed us to live. He designed us to be in union with him, in relationship with him. And so home is abiding with God in his presence. And they're far from that. They're so far from that, uh, that, that all they're experiencing is this longing for home. This longing for safety, for refuge. And so Isaiah gets this vision because he's the prophet. Don't you wish you got crazy visions like that? Just God just shows up and says, man, here's what it's going to look like. And he gets this vision and this is what he sees. Verse one, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus is flower. Keeps going. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And so Isaiah is speaking to his people and they're hearing what he's saying. And a group of people would have said, you're nuts. You're crazy because what you're describing is impossible And another group of people would have been so stirred to hope that their hearts would be awakened to faith again. And so what is Isaiah describing and and, and what do these words mean? Well, Isaiah is giving a picture of the future that stands in stark contrast to their current reality. Their current reality is dark. It's broken. It's filled with hurt and pain. It's a reality that a lot of us find ourselves in this morning where it seems like there's no light in our life and all we know is pain. All we know is distress. All we know is anguish. And that's what they're experiencing. But he, just, he begins to describe a completely transformed world a world that looks doesn't look like the world we live in. And and what he says in verse one is that the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. Now, the wilderness was this picture in ancient Israel of a place where no life was possible. Uh, The wilderness was, in fact, the place where things would go to die. In the wilderness, there was no hope for life springing forth. There was no hope for vegetation taking root. There was no hope for water running through the ground. It was the place where things go to die. It was a dry land. But Isaiah is saying that there's going to be this great reversal. That in fact, the place where things go to die is the place that will proclaim uh, joy and the glory of the Lord. Uh, in fact, the place where, where things go to experience misery will be the place where God brings joy and gladness. And it says the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. And so he inserts this, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. And so we're gonna nerd out for a minute just so we can uh, really lean into what Isaiah is saying. So the glory of Lebanon was, was most likely this reference to Mount Hermon, which was the highest mountain in Israel. Uh, This mountain was called a sacred mountain. It was uh, 9,000 feet above sea level. It was about 15 miles wide with range. And it was one of the most visible mountains uh, in all of Israel from great distances. Uh, And so this mountain is significant because along the mountain, uh, there was the main headwaters of the Jordan River. Uh, the same way that we see in San Marcos, the Aquarina the Springs, the, this is the place for the headwaters. This is where the San Marcos River starts. Along this mountain, the glory of Lebanon, was the place where the Jordan River started. Uh, there was large springs. It was known for being a place of life. It was known for being a place of, of flourishing. Uh, The majesty of Carmel is another region that was known for rich vegetation, rich growth and resources. It was known for being an abundant region. But that's not where they are. Remember where they find themselves. They're in the wilderness. They're in the place where there is no abundant rain. There is no streams of water flowing that you can drink from and be refreshed in. There is no good soil to take root, to plant seeds that take root, that yield great harvest, that, that would be nourishing to your body. They are in the wilderness. They are far from home. And to make matters worse, they're unable to return. They've been conquered, they've been brutalized, and there is pain. They are, they are homesick. They are in a dry land. But what Isaiah is saying is that this dry land will be far greater than the most rich, abundant places that you know. That in fact, in this wilderness, God is going to show up and turn everything around. And the place that was meant to take you out will be the place where you find life. And when we think about this, It seems like it can mean nothing for us because many of us haven't had this experience. We may have been homesick where there's this longing in our heart to go back home. We live in San Marcos and so very few of us are actually like born and raised from here. A lot of us just ended up here and there's this longing in our heart sometimes that says, man, I would love to go back to the East Coast where I would love to go back to the West Coast, or I would just love to go back to Dallas or Houston or this part of life that, that seems so familiar. And, and when that longing comes up, if we're on it, it's not too hard to satisfy. Because we could easily get on a plane and, and, and return back to the place where we've once experienced joy. Or if there's uh, something that, that makes us feel at home, that, that curbs that appetite, we can just go out and experience it. Uh, sometimes when my wife feels homesick, well, We'll go eat at Cracker Barrel because there's no good southern food here, according to her. And so that's, that's the best we can do. Uh, and so it, it'll, it'll slightly curb the appetite, but it won't satisfy. And then when we go back home to North Carolina or we'll, we'll be there in a couple weeks, it's like there's this longing that's been satisfied. I, she's like, I can breathe again. There's trees here. I'm like, what does that mean? And so it's this ongoing joke where I just try to, I, I, I'm just trying to indoctrinate her saying, now the air in Texas is better. Uh, the people here are better. The food here is better. But in reality, it is a little better over there. Uh, but there's this longing in her heart for home. And there's this ability to return because it's easy. But where we find themselves is that there's this longing in their heart that can't be satisfied because there's no way of going back. There's no way of returning back to the lifestyle they once had because they are brutally oppressed and they are in this desert place. But what Isaiah is trying to show us here is something very significant. I believe he's trying to make us ask this question. Where is God working? Where is God going to work? In a desert place. Where is God working in this chapter? In a place where there is no hope for flourishing. Where is God working in this chapter? In a place where things go to die. Where is God moving? In a place where there is no hope for life. In this place where they are far from home and far from where they should be with God, God will draw so close that his presence alone will bring about a complete transformation. He will bring breakthrough. He will bring joy. He will bring growth in a place and area that is not conducive for life. And why does this matter? What does this mean for you and I? Well, as we've been discussing this Advent series and talking about hope and peace and joy and love, remember, we've been saying hope is not dictated by our circumstances that we can look out into the world and it can be very hopeless, but praise be to God that he gives us a different vision for life where our hope is not found in what's going on out there or what's going on in here, but it's rooted and secured in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And this hope cannot be taken away from us because the world didn't give it to us. And we look into the world and where it seems like there's an incredible amount of disruption and chaos. And we think to ourselves, where can I find peace out there? And we think maybe if I eat this, drink this, put this into my body, date this, do this, then maybe I can experience a calm in the raging of my heart. But God comes and offers us a different vision for life. One that says that peace can be given to you that surpasses your circumstances because it is not rooted in your circumstances. It is rooted in Christ. And so as we abide in Him and enjoy Him, He gets His peace inside of us that cannot be taken away from us because the world didn't give it to us. And the same thing can be said about joy. That what we see here happening in this chapter is that joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. It is dependent upon a person who is bringing new life in places where things go to die. Joy is not dependent upon circumstances or the ideal set of events happening in our lives that make us feel happy. Joy is God showing up in the desert and bringing about a complete transformation through his presence alone. Church, this is really good news because God is bringing you joy in the desert, not paradise. We serve a God who can bring joy in the desert, not paradise. When hope gets lost, when peace is robbed, God is transforming the wilderness and the desert. The wilderness becomes the place of hope, becomes the place of peace, becomes the place of joy. Think about what this means for you and I. We have the tendency, myself included, to confuse joy with happiness and believe that joy is found in the most ideal set of circumstances. Having the best job will bring joy into my life. Because the good job means I have the good money and the better money leads to less arguments at home about where the money is going and now there's a sense of security and stability and I can have some breathing room and uh, boom, joy. We have the tendency to believe that joy is found in the most ideal set of circumstances. If I can graduate college and get this degree and have this job, then the things that made me anxious while I was a student will cease to be there. And I will finally come alive and experience life only to experience the same old problem in a different circumstance. We think to ourselves, maybe joy is found in achieving this life. By the time I'm 30, 40, 50, 60, here's what I want to be said about me. And here's how much money I want in the bank and how many houses I want to leave for my kids and, and the type of lifestyle that I want to live thinking that if we get there, joy will be waiting for us. But this scripture says that joy is not dependent upon our circumstances Joy is found in a person. And so we can build the lives that we want to build with our bare hands, thinking that it will produce joy, when Jesus has made it available the entire time as a free gift of mercy and grace. We believe the most ideal circumstances bring us joy. And we believe this because the current set of circumstances we have aren't bringing us joy. And church, let me encourage you by reminding you that in a desert place, in a place where there is no hope for flourishing, in a place where there is no hope for life, God is at work. And so what that means for you and I is that in the places that we're not finding joy, uh, that we're not experiencing God, uh, God is more than able of stepping into those places and crafting a joy in our heart that reminds us that this comes from God, uh, this is from God, and it's not dependent on what I'm doing or, or, or where I'm at in life. Rather, it's a gift from God. Joy is exclusively, I believe, a Christian word because joy, the scriptures show us, is exclusively a gift from God. That's something the world can give us. It comes from relationship with the Lord. And it's in this place where they are far from God and far from where they should be with God that God will begin to draw near and bring transformation and bring joy that is found in a person and not a set of circumstances. So how is this transformation and joy possible? Point two: the way back home. Let's look at verse eight. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, no, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I am so excited to unpack this. Uh, When I get really excited, I get really unproductive. And so as I was reading this and thinking about it, I found myself just like walking laps around the church because I just wanted to do everything except just start typing what's on my mind because that's what happens when I get excited. I just, I I don't know why I get less productive. And so it took a lot out of me to put these thoughts together. And I'm sharing that because I want you to share in this joy because what we're about to read is an amazing promise from God. Remember, they are exiled and far from home, but Isaiah is saying it won't always be like this. They will return home, but when they go back, everything will be different. And in fact, there will be a highway that takes them home. I-35 with no traffic speed limit is whatever you feel comfortable driving and you'll arrive and it will be glorious. And he says that this highway is the way to everlasting joy. Uh, this highway is the way to everlasting joy because it is the pathway back to God's presence. And what is this pathway called? He calls it the way of holiness. Now remember, God is holy. And one thing that Isaiah really leans into and one thing that he is obsessed about is the holiness of God. Why? Because in Isaiah chapter six, he had a vision for God's holiness and all he could say was, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And even this idea of holiness is so hard to unpack because it's an attribute that solely belongs to God that communicates how separate and different and other and and distinct God is from us and Isaiah calls this path the pathway of holiness in, in, in the Old Testament holy is untouchable by humans uh, Moses was told to remove his shoes from the ground in Exodus because the place that he was standing was holy ground. When he had an experience with God, he was called to veil his face from human view. Uh, the holy of holies in the temple was carefully protected from outside contact and the high priest would have to perform elaborate rituals before being allowed to enter into God's presence. It's this idea that God is holy and we are not because we've been tainted and marred by sin and holy and unholy do not mix. That God is completely different than us. He is distinct. He is morally perfect and good in all of his ways. He is perfectly pure and righteous and we're not. And because of his holiness and our holiness, there's very little contact in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, there's a shift. In the birth of Christ, the holy has become touchable. First John 1 John 1.1 says that hands have touched the eternal God. That the large crowds that pressed upon Jesus we're touching the holy God. A, a woman was healed when she touched Jesus's garment and the resurrected Jesus invites doubting Thomas to touch his wounds. And as Jesus is being crucified, the veil in the temple that once separated the holy from the unholy was torn open, making God's presence accessible for everyone. So now as Hebrews 10, 19 says that followers of Jesus have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians one 30, because of Jesus, you are because of Jesus, you are in Christ. Uh, so Jesus is our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, I love how another translation puts it. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. God has made us right. Christ has made us right with God. He has made us pure and holy. He has freed us from sin so that now we, are, we who are unholy, we who are separate from God because of our sin can come into his presence because our sin has been dealt with and we've been made righteous and holy through Jesus's blood. The reason why this is important is because Jesus is the way of holiness that leads back home. Jesus is the way of holiness that Isaiah is describing that leads back to God's presence. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness and the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. That Jesus is the way, the truth and the life who brings us back into God's presence because he died for our sins that separated us from him. And if we are found in Christ, Jesus will carry us back home. And even if we are fools, we shall not go astray because he will keep us and protect us. No lion shall be there. No enemy that can take us out will conquer us. No ravenous beast shall come upon it. They shall not be there. The redeemed shall walk there. Who are the redeemed? Those who have placed their faith in Jesus. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. Come back to the city of God with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Hear me. Jesus is the way of holiness that leads us back home. Why? Because Jesus is the one who ransoms us and rescues us from sin. Jesus is the one who brings us back into right relationship with God. Jesus is God in the flesh, walking among us, turning the wilderness into places of flourishing, calling dead things to come alive and bringing new life where things go to die. Jesus is the pathway to everlasting joy. This joy the, the scriptures have two understandings of joy. One is that joy is a byproduct of being in God's presence. That when you come into God's presence, uh, that's what happens. You experience joy uh, as we delight in his glory and his majesty. Joy arises in our heart as we enjoy the enjoyable God. And the second idea is that joy is a byproduct of salvation And experiencing victory over the enemy. And that's the pattern that we see in the scriptures is that when there was an enemy and that enemy was defeated, joy would arise in the people's hearts because they were experiencing refuge. They were experiencing security. They were experiencing life. And what we see happen is that Jesus has made, Jesus is victorious over our greatest enemy, sin. Jesus has been found victorious, defeating the devil. Jesus has saved us and has rescued us. And the byproduct of tasting the salvation, enjoying this salvation is a joy that rises in our heart. That's a gift from God. Think about what that means for you. Is that we can sometimes think that God is after you just living a certain way that God is after your behavior and telling you to stop sinning and live like this. No, God has dealt with your sin and he has rescued you and saved you. And he doesn't just leave you there. He wants you to experience his joy. He wants you to experience life with him because Jesus has defeated the enemy and Jesus has defeated sin, we have victory, we have salvation. The barrier of sin has now been removed and we can enter into God's presence and experience life with God. Joy comes from God. Joy doesn't come from fabricating the most ideal set of circumstances. Joy doesn't come from building a future that we envision for ourselves that we believe will make us happy. Joy is received by faith as we receive this gift of salvation, as we receive and partake in this victory that Christ has given us. There's a second thing that the Scripture reveals, is that joy also comes from the ways of God. This is what Jesus says in John 15, verse nine through 11, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, live in this love, rest in this love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So if you're, if you're asking yourself, am I abiding in God's love? Examine yourself, are you, are you walking in the ways of Jesus? Are you experiencing delight and life with him? The reason why this is important is because Look what Jesus says in verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Are you wondering where to find joy? Are you craving joy in your life? Jesus says that joy is found in abiding with the father and experiencing his love. Joy is found in worshiping him and being obedient to his commandments. Joy is found in, By experiencing life with God. As we come to a close and we take a moment to reflect, I want to invite the worship team back up. Is there joy in your life? Is there life with God? Are you walking with God? What we see is that joy is a gift from God that comes from receiving him and entering into relationship with him. Is that relationship being practiced? Or is there just an awareness of it in your mind, but it's not evident in your hands, in your life? What we see here is that Jesus has made a way for us to walk on. A pathway of holiness, a pathway that leads to everlasting joy. Are you walking in it? Are you walking in it? God has made available a pathway for holiness and transformation that is not dictated or or rooted in our circumstances or what we're going through, but is found in a person. And when we come into this person's presence and experience that joy, just like that wilderness, we see life arise. And as we point ourselves in the direction of God, just like that crocus, that flower, it begins to blossom, begins to come alive. And I believe that's the invitation that that Jesus has given us this morning. I wanna invite everyone to pray with me as we close our eyes and bow our heads and have a moment with God. Joy is this fruit of right relationship with God, walking with him, abiding with him. And maybe you're not right with God this morning. Maybe you know for a fact that, that, that you find yourself in a deserted place of brokenness and darkness and it's because you willingly walked yourself there. And God's grace to you is that he has made available for you a pathway that leads to new life, that he wants to carry you towards and come bring hope and joy and peace and new life where it seems like things are just going to die and this morning if you want to get right with God and and you want to bring yourself to his presence and and, and practice this gift of repentance and saying Lord I want to turn away from living for myself and I want to live for you I want to stand with you in that moment as you take that step of faith and if you know that's you this morning would you raise your hand so I can pray for you. Lord, I praise you that we celebrate this gift, that you are with us. This season uh, causes our heart to remember that you have arrived, that you have made yourself present, that you've took on flesh that we can touch and that we can see you removed the barrier of sin that once breeded hostility towards you and separation and you've closed this gap and we can have union with you because you lived for us and you died for us and you've shed your blood for us and you rose from the dead for us. And so Lord, for these hands that are raised, I pray that there would be that supernatural experience of life, that you would come and bring joy and hope Lord, I pray that, that you would come and bring flourishing where it seems like things are just going off to wither. Maybe you're in this room and, and, and there's a relationship with Jesus, but you find yourself like the psalmist saying, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I'm tired and I feel defeated and I'm doubting: does this thing even work? Is it real? What should I do? And It seems like you find yourself in a a place of wilderness and and you know God's there and he can do something, but that joy is absent. And I really, I, I woke up this morning, I really believe God wants to restore joy in this room. And if that's where you find yourself, I wanna pray for you. Would you lift up your hand so I can pray for you? Lord, I... I ask that you would come and and do what I read in Acts this morning that as Paul was preaching the gospel and lives were being transformed and your word was going forth and going out, the Holy Spirit came and filled the disciples with your presence and with joy. And Father, I just believe you want to do that right now. I I pray that, that you would come fill us with the Holy Spirit and with your joy. Lord, I I praise you that you are the God who draws near and the God who restores. And and would you restore that joy that we found in salvation, that joy of falling in love with you. I pray that we would experience that afresh and anew all over again. Lord, I pray that you would come and revive these parts of our hearts that feel dry. I ask that you would come and bring about a transformation, the one that we read about in Isaiah. Would you come make us come alive in your joy and your presence this morning, in Jesus' name.